Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Disney Plus and Hamilton. Experience the groundbreaking musical sensation like never before for your consideration in all categories. The original Broadway production of Hamilton is now streaming exclusively on Disney Plus. We're here today with 11-time Oscar-nominated, two-time Oscar-winning composer Alexandre Desplat. He's the composer of George Clooney's new Netflix sci-fi drama, Midnight Sky, and we're going to hear more about that today on Crew Call. So Midnight Sky is your sixth collaboration with George Clooney as, as a producer or as a director. Um, what is, what's his approach to music in a film? How does he handle it in a way that other directors do not? You know, he, he has this extreme relationship with music, which is in his DNA. He was, he was raised with his aunt, Rosemary Clooney, uh, and musicians around him. And music in, is in his blood. It's incredible. He could have been a great musician. If, if only he had practiced an instrument, which he did not. But uh, so he has a very intimate, instinctive relationship with music. Um, when we listen to music together, so something I wrote, uh, I can feel his his vibration, his, his, the way his face would, would lit up or not, you know, and he reacts very quickly to that. Because you know, some directors would love music in general in life, but you know in movies sometimes they're not at, at ease with music because music is another script somehow. It's it's changing the story. It, it it's guiding the audience sometimes in a direction that has to be uh, tamed. But George loves music in cinema and in films and in films, so he you know he guides me and he's always open-minded. He's passionate about music, so it's it's very. It's a lot of work, but it's very easy. So this is a movie that has a lot of echoes of gravity. It deals with themes of loneliness. It, it deals with themes of family and, and looking to the sky and to the stars. There was this approach not to have a, um, a sci-fi type score with electronica. Talk more about that. Yeah, no electronica no choir, no, uh, uh, you know, cheesy, corny 50s theremin uh, ter- or uh, nothing gothic or it, it had to be pure, organic and playing the emotions, the void of space, the um, spinning orbits and uh, a tragic hope it's all these things together Um, and very early on we discarded all these other options that could have taken us to a to a cliche and and we just decided to have an orchestra which is not a neither big large full 
symphonic orchestra, you know, with 120 piece. No, the orchestra is rather small. It's 60 plus instruments, but there is a very wide string section, which gives a lot of, of, of warmth and, and uh, tenderness and, um, and this, you know, this tragic emotion that we're looking for comes from the strings. I was going I was going to say there is a lot of like in the end title theme and in in moments like when they're when they're fixing the space station there's a sense of beauty and awe and uh grace and I was curious what were your inspirations I mean it's it's very classical score well do, do you know well, that's what we wanted we wanted the score to be um not to be dated which means not of the past not of today nor not of tomorrow <laughs> but be a moment using classical instruments sure but but not trying to be modern or or smart we you know the the, the core of the film is the, is the little girl and and she's the center of the whole the whole story. It's her. Everything is about her and how there's a relationship between her and George Clooney's character, and and how the uh, uh, we will slowly but surely understand that there's a link between this little girl and the and the crew in space. Uh, so she's the center, and this pure soul uh, who watches the stars. Um, as if she was discovering the world, had to be heard in the score. Um, so I guess we were really aiming for that, for that pure, um, uh, I'm trying to say something, honest, something, you know, uh, with no back, back thoughts, something that's just true, that, that we felt was true, which is through the eyes of this little girl. So tell us about building the score. When did you, did you get pieces of the film? Did you see it all in one swoop? And how did you oh. decide this is where we need music? No, we, we saw the film, we saw the film uh, at first cut, a long, a long first cut, you know, over two and a half hours or something. Um, 
and um, yes, we 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 start thinking where there could be music, and and George is very clear about where he thinks the score should be playing. Um, so we, I th at first, I thought because because it was in space and there was some, you know, sure moments that there wouldn't be that much score. But he kept saying to me, no, no, there would be a lot of score. It would be like, like a concert or a ballet. And I uh, I didn't realize how much work I had in front of me. But there was a lot of score, a lot of music to, to, to write, uh, which is always exciting and frightening at the same time. Exciting because you know that you'll be expanding ideas and you'll be developing themes and, and orchestral colors. But at the same time, you know, there's a deadline coming towards you and you always wonder that you might not be ready. I, I, I was thinking about that because um, I was thinking, I, I wanted to ask you, what is for you the longest score you've ever done, meaning the longest movie and the most wall-to-wall -wall notes? Uh, and does this, this one comes... Up? Yeah, this this one comes close to to the to the top, I think, uh, but it's not a long movie. I've done longer movies like uh, Harry Potter's, the two last Harry Potter's, where there was really a lot, a lot, lot of music, like two hour twenty or something per film of music, which is a bloody long amount of minutes. Uh, but this one is, yeah, I think there was ninety plus minutes in this one, so it's a it's a, it's a large amount of of minutes for for a score. Um, for, uh, yes, there was a lot of music, yes. It's on the top what, five. And, and what's, the uh, what's the philosophy behind that for a composer? Because some composers are very, it's funny, you know, there's, there's some movies where you, one would think, oh, this drama needs more music, and there's not. There, they, and then there are, there, are, um, there are movies such as this where, and it all feels organic. All the music feels like it should be there. But I'm just curious, is there, what is the note, is it instinctual when you want to leave something in silence? Meaning, well, by silence, I mean you just leave the dialogue or the, well, the landscape shot. Bear in mind that I come from an education in Europe and especially in France, where there's not much music in films, very little music. When there's 40 minutes for a, an hour and a half film, it's, it's a lot of music already. Some movies have less than 30 minutes of score here. So, and a lot of dialogue usually. So you have to, you know, it, it's like doing lace. You're, you're, you're trying to find your way through dialogue, like in theater, which I did a lot too, which also has influenced me. So when I work on a, on a, on a, on a big score for a big film, I always have this, temptation of of going for less is more because that's how I was trained um, but then comes the director and it it's always the director's choice if there should be more or less not my choice I can offer to do less or to do more but I don't decide so um, when I saw the queen for the first time I remember things to saying to Stephen Frears oh you don't need music it's great it's fantastic already I laughed, I, I was moved. Why, why would you add music to your film? And he insisted, he said, no, no, no. So, okay, I went, I went for, the, for, the, for, the, for the show, but uh, 
some I, I honestly feel that sometimes the movie are great with that music i don't i'm not sure i'm afraid in fact of of uh, being an intruder you know being bringing something too much or so that's my that's my french angst as a, as a french filmmaker where there's usually two characters in a room and the music seems to be coming from from the skies in a little room and you don't understand why there would be music. So I've been very careful. So in, in that, the great uh, opportunity on this film is that we have this huge scope, which is space. You know, we know there's space, there's the, the, the tragic dying of, of, a, of a planet, um, there's some huge accidents, uh happening so th there are some big big moments where music can shine and can be present now bear in mind that there's not much dialogue in this film therefore the music is saying a lot images and music are really connected together in this film maybe more than in any film that i've done before where the music is telling the audience what is happening and and how the characters are feeling at that moment in the film, what emotions they're going through. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Disney Plus and Hamilton. Experience the groundbreaking musical sensation like never before for your consideration in all categories. The original Broadway production of Hamilton is now streaming exclusively on Disney Plus. There's a moment where, where um, Augustine is in the snowstorm and he's trying to find Iris. And can you tell us the, in I, I think I know what the instrument is, but can you tell us the instrument that we're hearing in that instance, when he's lost in the in snowstorm, looking for her? Uh, I'm trying to it's remember. It's almost like an oboe, I want to say. But I, I, um, no, I, I, no, I think it's a clarinet. It's a very, it's a top clarinet, it's a clarinet. Yeah. I think it's a clarinet, yeah, it's a clarinet. Uh, in the high register, maybe even an E flat clarinet. Um, well, because the um, the strings the strings are are vibrating and giving this lush, warm sound, I needed to have some weight, whether by percussions or brass, and also some that can poke through, like. Uh, an E flat clarinet or some or some flutes, and that's all we have as woodwinds actually clarinet and flute. Um, so that's why I use the instruments because also they are um, traveling with the air. And as you just said, there's a lot of storm in the Arctic Ocean where they are trying to survive, and the sound of the clarinets, these whistles, these very high tones. They can cut through and and mix with a with a with the sound that we hear in the film. The um, was there a discussion of a main theme that would be heard throughout or no? Yes, I think that that was an important decision uh, because we are jumping from one story to another, and we yet don't know until a large. Um, chunk into the film that they are connected. Um, I, I didn't want the, the, the score to be disjointed and having you know one color here and one color there. I thought that there should be a unity. And 
not only the instrumentation helps the unity. Uh, you know, I don't switch from a section of the orchestra to another, but also having one main theme that can be on Augustine and Iris when they're facing uh, uh, moments of, of their survival and on the spaceship when they're also uh, uh, encountering uh, difficulties, having one main theme that shows the the tragedy, the immensity, the the hope. It, it it's valid for both stories. So we we decided there would be one theme that could be the main theme. And then there's there's some there's a little melody for Iris that we hear that comes here and there that I develop at the end of the film. Um, but there's no, but there's, aside from Iris, because she's the center, there's no other theme by character. There's no like motif like we would do in, you know, in Star Wars or in, uh, in Parsifal. Because the end title seemed like a, almost like a summation. And I want to say that I didn't, while I heard moments of it, it wasn't, it wasn't like a hard motif throughout, like in, 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 in regards to that end that end, that end theme, which is like the final goodbye and huzzah and, you know, moon pulling away from sun. If, they, if, they had, if, if, if it was an opera, there would have been an overture. Mm -hmm. And maybe this, and maybe this music would have been the overture. Precisely. But exactly. then it's, but, but here it's the closing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That was fascinating. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, Tell us about, you recorded this, and uh, you recorded this with, the orc, with an orchestra during the pandemic. Tell us all about that, everything. It was horrible, because I couldn't go to London to, to, to record and conduct the orchestra. Um, so uh, Netflix, you know, moved mountains to make it possible, and we had a great um, audio and video link between Abbey Road Studios in London and the London Symphony. Uh, George Clooney and Grant Hesloff, the producer in Los Angeles at very early hours. And I was in Paris in my studio uh, producing the, the recording without being able to conduct. So it was very hard. It was. It's tiring to work in front of screens, number one. Second, I'm used to be near the musicians when I record, to be with them and you know, bring them to another dimension, if I can, <coughs> to a better interpretation. So that's Solre, my partner, who's always producing with me uh, in the booth where I'm conducting. We try to get the best of the players. Um, and for the musicians, it must have been very difficult too, because they were on their own in that room. Yes, there was there was one conductor there, but it was not me. I was talking to him, who was talking to them. There was something, an interaction which was which was uh, rusted. You know, it was it was not it was not flawless. And bear in mind, there were the, the musicians had to be recorded in sections: strings, then the next day brass, then the next day woodwinds, blah blah blah, and. <clears throat> they were very far away from each other's in the room because of the COVID. 
regulations. So for them, it was also very difficult to, to hear each other's, you know, have the same bowing and it, it's a very difficult, uh, I, I wish I wouldn't do it again. So no one, the entire orchestra as a whole never played together. It was only in separate sections. Yeah, and that's also very frustrating. Especially for me, it's okay because I know I hear and I watch my, I can read my score and know I know what's going on, you know. But for George and Grant, they could only hear the the the, the strings. Okay, there were some some prelays. They could hear some brass with with some prelay, but uh, it's not the same as being in Abbey Road live and with the full orchestra blessing at you. And uh, I'm sure they were also very uh, patient and frustrated. And that but didn't affect, you know, as far as like tone goes, the transmission, <coughs> excuse me, between the transmission between, you know, the remote transmissions didn't do anything to reduce that, the pitch or the tone or it's anything perfect. like that. No, no Abbey Road has a, a, a fantastic uh, crew and, and, and the, no, no, the, the audio was perfect. There was no lat latency. It was, no, it was, it was, it was incredible. Through my speakers here, my Bowers and Wilkins, the same as Abbey Road. It was, it was just, it was flawless. It was beautiful. It just, just, it was just uh, difficult to make music, if you see what I mean. And then the next film you're working on, do, are are you going to go through the same challenge or no? You don't anticipate No, that. because I've already done a new, another film in, in Paris. I recorded a new score and it was, uh, well, I did have to record the string separately, but I was conducting this time. Oh, so, great. So it was okay. At least right. I, could, uh, I could scream on, my, on the musicians. Can you tell us? Which, I, ne which I never do. Can you tell us what that film was? Can you tell us what you're working on? Yes, of course. Of course, it's a, it's a, it's a movie called Eiffel, like the Eiffel Tower, about Gustave Eiffel. A, a very beautiful love story with Gustave Eiffel. Can you give us a preview, uh, obviously description, of um, your next Wes Anderson film, uh, The French Dispatch. Grand Budapest won you an Oscar, and it was a rollicking good time. Uh, such a fun, um, I just, the first thing that comes to mind is Hungarian score. And um, I'm just curious, is French, is French Dispatch gonna be as, as fun in its own? So. Is it going to be more French? No, I don't think so actually, but it's very strange. It's a very strange combination of instruments again. You'll hear there's bassoons, choir, uh, strange pianos. It's, it's a very weird, <laughs> a very strange combination. I, I don't want to say too much before, before you, you hear it. Does, is he the type of filmmaker, Wes, that just, you feel like you could go absolutely nuts. You could just try the most experimental stuff and uh, and and you're not, I don't know, fenced in by the material. I think it's the deal. Uh, it took me it took me one film to understand that uh, we did Mr. Fox, and it was a very new way of working for me, uh, exploring every option, even the worst options, which I knew were wrong, but we had to go through that. Um, but I've learned that it. That's the way he works. 
so I'm now I, I'm you know I'm more relaxed about that and we do that together we have fun um, and when I think it's not a good option it's okay I try it anyway we explore together and sometimes it can work uh, you know you ask the piccolo to play the bass part or the other way around and uh, and you see if it works before we go we have a um we have a listener's question. Um, this comes from Bob Robert Thies in Brattleboro, Vermont. He's a songwriter and a music teacher, and him and his wife love the score to Birth. And they were wondering if you could share your thoughts about the inspiration for that score. Um, in my mind, to me, even though you did Girl, Girl um, with a Pearl Earring before, Birth blasted you off here in town. I just remember we all came out of birth. Uh, me and I was at Variety then and me and my fellow reporters, we came out and we're like, oh my God, the score. And from that point on, Alexandre Desplat, you were known. <laughs> um, can you talk, can you talk more about that? Well, it took us 48 hours with Jonathan and Peter Reburn. He's a, he's a producer with uh, in my studio in Paris, we locked each other's up. And I remember the the initial came from um, him saying that it was his film was like a, a fairy tale with a king and knights, an old queen who was a widow, a princess who needs to remarry because the the knight has been killed in a, in, a, in an accident, and and from that we we invented a story, and had this idea that we could have a repetitive motif, which is played by the flute in the high register, <laughs> that drives along in the same key always, modulates at some point, but mostly in D major, and if we have this higher high register things going on, then we could have. Um, all the other sections of the orchestra be the other characters of the film. So there would be like, like a, a, a card game. So card the widow, card the queen, card the knights. So you have, <laughs> and you hear pa, 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 the knights, then it goes away. <laughs> and you hear ta, da, 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 and that's the, uh, the widow. And continues, and there's so it's it's this juxtaposition of this repetitive motif and characters coming through, um, and everything you hear in the score is in that in the introduction of the film. Everything it's all there, and the other thing I decided is that it would be in D major from the beginning to the last scene, the same key, except that the last scene when she goes into the ocean with her wedding dress, this tragic moment. Then we will shift from D major down to the minor relative, which is B minor, as one more diving down into the abyss. It, it was all a game, you know, that we invented and that I kind of transcripted into, into music. Did you have any games at Midnight Sky like that? Um, I'm trying to remember. No, no, I don't think so. But on FL, yes. 
Gustave Eiffel, there's only one key, A major. Why? Because the name of his lover was Adrienne with an A, and the shape of the Eiffel Tower is an A. <laughs> it's just it's just you know patterns that you you know when you start working on, on a score you have a few weeks to to work on it and you have to find fuel you know ideas that it's just not just the screen and i follow what else, what's on screen what what is behind the screen what can i put in the background you know how many layers of the millefeuille can i add and by doing these kind of games, uh, you know, the same tempo, the same key, the same, you, you, it gives you a, a, a line to follow very strong. And, and, and in that line, you can be very uh, smart, but because you have, you have these guidelines, it helps and you go quicker. Um, <laughs> what, what are you working on now? Can you share? Uh, yes, I'm completing a score for Guillaume Canet, French director and, and actor, um, for a little uh, symphonic orchestra. And then I will start working with uh, Guillermo del Toro again on his new film. On Pinocchio? Pinocchio. No. No? No, another film he's doing before, Nightmare oh, the, Ali. Yes, Nightmare the one Ali. with Rooney Mara. Absolutely. And yes. Kate Blanchett and yes. Bradley Cooper. A great, um, great film noir. Well, two-time Oscar winner, Alexandre Splot. It's always an honor and a pleasure to have you on Crew Call. Uh, he is the composer of George Clooney's Netflix sci-fi drama, Midnight Sky, which you can see now on Netflix. Thank you so much, Alexandre. Thank you very much. Thank you to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. 